The following podcast contains mature language and adult discussion. This week on Kayfabe, stories you're not supposed to hear. We'll just, you know, let the cat out the bag and and, and, and let everybody be wide open. And we're going to put this on TV and see how the people respond. I'm going to tell you how they're going to respond. I wouldn't take my child to see no transgender guy, no daggum ring, would you? All right, welcome home. Kept the light on for you. We used to do that, keep the light on for you. Super 8 Motel, something like that. I don't know. Gimmick infringement right there. Stay away from me, Super 8. You're back, you're here. Looking for some more kayfabe. Shout out to our patrons up at the top here. Patreon.com slash kayfabe podcast. Friends like, let's see, who's kind of new to the, well, let's give some of the original, some of the OGs that we hear, like Tyson Brown, Todd Mogul, Terry Lynn, Salvatore Martone, Ralph Ramirez, Paul Rogers, Mike McNeil, Matthew Chamora, Matt Cardone, so many more, many, many more that were here from the beginning. You can become a patron of the show, too. I'll do that up front, nice and loud for everybody who takes issue with it. Tell you, you offer this for free? People bust your balls for having a patron. You want to charge people? People bust your balls. This is in the category of you can't win, folks. If you're planning to launch a company, a product, a show, uh, something of that nature, just be prepared uh, to live the credo. You just can't please them. Can't please everybody. So stop trying to please anybody and you'll be fine. Uh, passioned throngs, impassioned throngs, the wrestling folk are, as evidenced by this Nyla Rose thing. You know, I was going to hold on to this till I had a particular guest that I'm coordinating schedules with, but, you know, it's just too, it's too upfront and right now. AEW, who last week I gave props to for doing what what had to be done in this business, what I told TNA they should be doing 10 years ago, which was uh, really democratizing the product and, you know, making making the fans um, control the destiny. The, you know, I mean, the young Cody and, you know, all the young guys at AEW are putting out the product that they were starved for by the other feds. So anyway, in doing that and being being different that way and really giving fans feel a real ownership with this company, I think it's because so many indie stars landed there and are being used there and they're doing things a little differently as evidenced by the fact that the women's champion is a transgender individual. So... The furor begins, and uh, you're going to hear. Uh, we're going to you're going to touch on this a little bit today with our guest Curtis Hughes. He's not a fan of this. Val Venus is very much on record as not being a fan of this. And listen, this is what this is what everybody's missing here. This is the point everybody's missing and the 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 glorious thing about about this 
about Nyla Rose, about the the entire thing. Once again, and for the first time in how long, people, fans, wrestlers, wrestlers not even in AEW, that have nothing to do with AEW, are heated and impassioned and believing. Believing. And what did it take? It took not some fucking work, not some angle. I mean, there, of course, there is an angle to this. Let's not be stupid. Let's not be so naive to say that they didn't smell this coming a mile away. And you know what? Props to them for, for doing that. Because once again, this is what it took. You can do anything you want on WWE TV. They cannot impassion the fans any longer. Nobody gives a shit. Nobody's angry about anything. However, look at this. Look at what AEW has done. Okay? People talking about it all over the place. And it's and it's not a work. The the the, the passion is not a work. The opinions which may uh, which may deviate from polite at times. When's the last time that happened in wrestling? Was it the Attitude Era? But everyone was in the ring working. Fans were just oohing and on and loving it. But now the fans are taking a side for the first time in how long? Corny, you should love this. You should love this. Fans believing again. Fans angry again. Heated words. It was the last time this happened in professional wrestling. Let's be honest, guys. And this is what it's all about. And this is what this goes back to what I talked about a couple of weeks ago. It's not the brain trust, the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen sitting around going, well, maybe he could steal his girlfriend on TV this week. It's not that. This is the real deal. This is societal debate creeping into wrestling. And it's trending. That's what it's about. This is what it's about. Okay, it is what Russo was doing in. You can like his product or, or, or have hated his product, but he was looking at reality television. He was looking at things that were considered controversial on other shows in society. And he was putting it on TV. And so here it is right in everybody's face. People are fighting about it. They're debating about it. Some are defending and some are despising. People are taking a side, an impassioned side. And it's no secret that AEW, or no surprise, I should say, that AEW was the federation that did this. I'm not fanboying out here. I, I, ba- I can barely watch any fucking current product. I just, let me just get that out there. I'm not taking a side. I'm not being a fucking AEW fanboy. I'm just saying that as somebody, I'm 47. I started watching the Vince Senior product. I ebbed and flowed as a kid. I was m- you know, madly into it as the real-life superheroes filled my television set on Saturday mornings, both in the ring and in cartoon form. They were the action figures on my shelf and in my toy ring, okay? It was a passion. 
And then with with the goon and the fucking the TL Hopper and like it just got hard when you're in college and they're selling you a little TL Hopper. It's tough. It's tough to believe. So I drift again, and then ECW comes along, and that gives birth to the attitude stuff that uh, Vince was doing to emulate ECW. And then you go, well, maybe maybe I could believe in these guys. The angle is bullshit, but look at that frying pan over the head. I believe, baby, I believe. And so then I enter the business kind of with kayfabe commentaries and revolutionize the shoot interview um, with uh, our company. And I hear about the business from the inside all the time. And I see the business from the inside and nothing surprises me anymore. And then this happens. They came close with the CM Punk stuff. I think they should have gone. I think they should have just committed to it. Send them to little cities and VFW halls with the WWF belt. Have them take the belt. Just show up unannounced on cards. You don't even have to film it. Don't send the WWF cameras there. People have fucking phones. It's going to go viral. It's going to be out there. Do nothing. Just buy CM Punk a plane ticket to Butte, Montana, and have him walk into a VFW with the WWF title and get in the ring and cut a promo on somebody. It'll be all over the place. This is in a hundred of those. A hundred of those and made this thing stretch a year. Three months it was over, though. The angle was stupid. But here we go. Here we go. We're going to have wrestlers talking about this and fans. When's the last time wrestlers were heatedly debating? So you probably have to go back to the to the Monday Night Wars. Last time wrestlers had such a stake. Such a stake. And here we are where fans, fans once again, have lit the fire. We're the ones that are doing this. All they did was put a strap on a transgender individual. They didn't say we had to feel a certain way about it. But they put it on TV and they watched. And And Rome is burning around them. Okay, that we're stoking our own flames and commentators and writers have so much to say about it. And podcasters, I just didn't 10 minutes on this, for Christ's sake, because for the first time in so long, you, the fan, give a shit. All right, listen, you read wrestling books. There's a ton of them out there, right? You got memoirs, you got wrestlers' memoirs. The business of kayfabe, turning wrestlers' secrets into a million dollars, written by yours truly. Okay, now this chronicles the business lessons learned from running kayfabe commentaries for 12 years. My first book, Kayfabe, uh, Stories You're Not Supposed to Hear from a Pro Wrestling Production Company owner. Number one bestseller in the wrestling category for almost 19 months, okay, on Amazon. This follow-up, The Business of Kayfabe, what are the business lessons inside these stories? What is there to learn from all of this time running the company? The personalities in pro wrestling have always been some of the most unique and entertaining in the world. And for more than 10 years, Kayfabe Commentaries has been the leading production company in the genre. Now you'll go inside the company. You'll see how it's done. Me, the on-camera ringmaster, co-owner of the company, I'm going to take you inside. I'm going to take you through all the components of building the business that brought the real-life personalities behind wrestling's outrageous 
uh, angles uh, to the masses. From our hits to our cancellations, there were lessons to be learned in all of it. Listen, tons of great stories. It's available in paperback, on Kindle, and on audiobook. Go check out Audible or grab it on iTunes, however you listen to your audiobooks. The Business of Kayfabe. You know, uh, this is the first time that I've uh, interrupted a guest during a Western. But uh, that, in fact, happened tonight, Mr. Curtis Hughes, did it not? Yep, you caught me watching me some good old cowboys and Indians, man. I enjoy watching that stuff, you know. Now, The Searchers is my favorite Western. I don't know where you stand on that. It's uh, it's a John Wayne, right? Um, right. And, uh, you know, listen, I, I had to sit through it in film school. I, I was never a big Western fan, but, you know, I was first exposed to it in film school. And, and of course, you know what? I, I, I'm going to take that back. Sam Peckinpah's, um, oh, what's the real violent one, Curtis, uh, uh, from the 70s? Um, the, uh, uh, does, um, oh, I can't believe. I, There's quite a few. I'm brain huh. farting on this one. Sam Peckinpah was the director. Uh, the, I keep saying the dirty dozen. It's not the goddamn dirty dozen. It's, I'll think of it though, before this is over, my guest, if no one realized we're just shooting the shit, just two guys shooting the shit. One in Jersey, one in, where are you, Georgia? You got it. Atlanta, GA. Hot, hot Atlanta. I was just down. You got it. I was just down there in, um, in, uh, January and I, I always try to find the best authentic barbecue down there. Where would I go for that? Curtis. Well, you want some good barbecue in Georgia? You got to go to the Fox Brothers, man. They're 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 the best, in my opinion. Okay, I I, I love me some Fox Brother ribs, man. I will find that. Where is that? Where do I find that? That's not downtown, next to the Coca Cola. No, factory. that's uh, that's that's over there off of Decatur Road, North Decatur Road. There, you just get on Decatur and just keep on going. You'll run right into it. All right. Uh, you know, I, I I get the ribs from there, but I tell them they can hold the sauce because I get my I bring my sauce from Kansas City, some Gates oh. barbecue sauce. That's Kansas City style, brother. See, you got you all know? this the inside shit that we don't get. You see, I would have gone there and I would just ordered the ribs with the stuff on it without any kind of Kansas City sauce, and I would have just had to deal with it. You know, I was very disappointed that Abby's House of Ribs closed. I I. I went there. I literally had the a driver take me there, and the goddamn door was locked. Yeah, well, yeah, they kind of went under. I don't know the I don't know the reason behind all that, but uh, it did. You it know, did. And if there's it, one place it, you it don't want to be, no it's more. it's under Abbey. Listen, Curtis, yep. you, you've worked everywhere. Uh, I want to I want to talk to you uh, as a trainer for a minute. You as a trainer, not me as a trainer. Obviously, if you could see any of my body, yeah. But um. What what is the thing that the young workers coming in today are getting wrong? Well, first of all, a lot of them are not getting taught uh, the main thing of the game, and that's psychology. You know, uh, a lot of these cats, man. You know, <laughs> you know, you got people so called teaching them, but they they're not qualified to teach them. They haven't been anywhere. They haven't experienced the game of professional wrestling. Is there a lot of uh, scam, scams out there? Oh yeah, there's a whole bunch of them, man. I mean, tons. And, and 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 a lot of people, a lot of these young kids, man, they don't do no research, man. 
you know, if you want to be a good professional wrestler and you really are serious about getting in the game and you want to be successful and make a living at it, you got to do some research on people who trains the best. You don't just go because somebody got their, just because they're a star and they got their name, you know, on the school, but they're never there. You see, there's a lot of that going on. Okay, but but myself personally, when I got into the game of teaching, my whole objective was, you know, if I'm going to teach people, I want to see them on television. I'm not just going to go down and just take their money, show them a couple of things because my name is behind these folks. And so when I got into the game with um, the owner that I started out with at WWA four, Frank, uh, he he, he kind of wanted to do it that way. But uh, I pretty much told him, I was like, look, man, you know, if you want me to help you build this place, because when I started at that place, everyone had left with the other trainer. See, everybody had quit. There was no more. There was no students at that place. And then a friend of mine, you know, hooked me up with with Frank. He was looking for somebody and uh, asked me if I wanted to train, become a trainer. I was like, oh, man, yeah, I'd be glad to do it. You know, I mean, I was like, well, you know, I, 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 you know, have to figure it out, you know, but eventually I did. It took me a couple of years to figure out how to teach. But once I got it all figured out, uh, you know, everything was, was great. But the, the owner wanted to just to show them a little something just so we can get people to start coming in. And what did so you have to learn? Told, uh -huh. I'm sorry. Go ahead. The plan I told him, I was like, listen here. I said, let me get some guys trained. Uh, I'm going to need a camcorder. Uh, and we're going to record these, these guys' matches. I'm going to commentate it, so forth and so on. And, and so we can put it on the Internet, say YouTube. And so I started training some people, and we got enough guys trained to where we could have like four matches, you know, and we uh, they were decent at the beginning. And then, of course, if you were to look at the beginning of WWE 4, how we started, and then as it progressed, uh, it got better and better and better. The shows got better. The wrestlers got better. And we just started getting more talent coming in, young people coming in, wanting to be a wrestler because they've seen these other kids wrestling. It's like, man, these guys look like they're freaking good. And so that's what that started. So to go back to the question of you asked me earlier about what is lacking in the world of professional wrestling with young people today and what they don't understand what they're getting in is they don't understand psychology. They're not being taught that. They're not understanding that it's pretty simple. Uh, I try to explain to my kids that wrestling is pretty simple once you get explained and showed how to do it. You have to be trained to do this stuff. You can't just watch TV and then jump in the ring, okay? And so, and so I would, you know, explain the psychology, teach them psychology. They have to learn how to, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, you got baby face, you got a heel. That's good and bad, right? The heel's job, like I tell my students all the time, it's real simple. The heel's job is to get the baby face over 
with wrestling, not spots, not freaking just running the ropes, not doing all that crazy flipping garbage. You have to get the baby face over to where the people will be, oh, we love the baby face because he seems to be a better wrestler. Well, if the heel is doing his job, that's what he's supposed to do, right? And so when the time is right that the heel feels that he gave the baby face enough to get him over and the people are going crazy for him for what he's doing to the freaking heel, then the heel can cheat. That's what a heel does. Yeah. And if you don't have that in a match, it's, the people are going to sit there with their thumbs up their butt. And that's what I see on TV. That's what I see on independent shows. It's pathetic. Curtis, when a kid comes into I'm saying kid. I'm sure they're all ages. But when, when a young person comes into your uh, school and let's say they have, I don't know, let's say that they are they're one of those high flyers, okay, that we're talking about, right? The fl- the flip de doo uh, things. Yeah. D- do you do you let them do that, or d- do you uh, re- have them refrain from getting into that part of it until they learn the basics? Like, how do you handle someone right. who comes in and wants to go to the top well, rope? Well, most of the okay, most of the students that come to me are just fresh, man. They they're, they're fresh. They ain't been taught anything. Now, now, every, you know, I, I, every blue moon, you'll get someone that came from somewhere else. Like I got a student that pays, what, six grand. I think it was six, seven grand, something like that. He had came from Florida down there at Dory Funk School. And and when he, you know, when, when people come in from other schools, uh, and I talk to him, I pretty much tell him this. I don't care where you came from, Okay. <laughs> It's a new ball game. Whatever you learned, disregard it. That's what I tell them. Disregard it. We're going to start all over again because I don't want you coming in here doing no garbage. I don't want you coming in here trying to tell, show me that you know what you're doing. It don't work like that. When you come to me and you want some, some training from Mr. Hughes, either you do it this way or go back to where you came from. Because the reason why you came to me is apparently where you was at. It wasn't working. You didn't learn anything. That's true. And so when somebody, say for example, when when some kids, well, say it's a kid coming in and he's been, had a little bit of training somewhere, the first thing I'll do to see if he's got some decent training right, I would have him lock up. I'd have him hit the ropes. There's certain things I'll have him do. And if he don't do those things according to what I do, I say, stop. No, you don't have to do no more. And then I explain to him why. And, and you know, if people come in and they start doing all that flipping, flopping garbage, I'll stop them. I mean, and I'll put them on the spot in front of everybody and say, listen here, man, we don't do that garbage. I'm going to show you how to be a worker. Okay, so you can get a job so you can make a living at this stuff instead of just going somewhere, beating up your body for 10 years and don't have a pot to piss in when to throw it out of. But your body is half crippled. And so I try to explain that to all the young people that come in is that the most important thing is safety. You have to get taught the right way to fall, the right way to kick, the right way to stomp, the right way to freaking punch, the right way to do a lot of things to go over that top rope so you don't break your neck. And a lot of kids that come in 
they're doing things wrong when they get thrown out on the freaking floor. See, and we teach every aspect of I do. I say I'm saying we I teach every aspect of professional wrestling pertaining to, uh, for example, you know, like promos. I teach you how to do a promo, teach you how to be a referee, teach you how to be an announcer, teach you how to be a wrestler, teach you how to be a valet, everything. If you might, if you, you might not make it as you might not, you know, cut it as a wrestler. You might be good as a manager. You might be good as a referee. You might be good as a commentator announcer. So, so we got, I, I help everyone that comes in and, and try to figure out what talent they have. So they don't get discouraged and quit the game. You follow me? I do. Uh, Curtis, what percentage would you say? Because you've kind of, you crossed over two generations in wrestling. I mean, you trained, you came up, uh, you know, Central States with Geigel, and then, but then you were in the extreme, uh, extreme era when we saw ECW and, you know, WWE right. after that. So you kind of bridged both worlds. What value, right. what percentage would you say uh, of importance today? working the stick is i know back in the day it was huge i mean you could be a hogan yeah. which you know very little in-ring skills but huge charisma uh, and talk him yeah. into the building like a piper or a hogan what about today how important is it still well it's still pretty important man because first of all uh once you have to once you you know you you know once you get trained and you and you start doing shows and and you start you know trying to figure out what kind of character you're going to portray. See, that's important. A lot of guys don't have no character. They walk to the ring. They don't have no gimmick. Okay. So, so if you don't have no character, no gimmick, how are you going to cut a freaking promo so that people can understand what you are? Now, do you help that's them with that too? Or does that have to come from oh, the no, kid? Oh, of course. Yeah. I'm oh. getting to it. I'm getting to it, brother. I get a long winded, but I'm trying to help. I'm trying to explain. Uh, so people can understand out there, you know, how it works. OK, uh, you know, so so, you know, even at, when I was at the WWE four, man, we every Wednesday. We would work on promos, OK, in front of a I, I record them, I hold the stick, I, I'd be the stick guy. And I explained to him, you know, we're cutting promos today, uh, work, work on your character and I'll give him some pointers, you know, hey, you know, uh, you know, keep it short and sweet. I'll give you a minute. All right. Here's here's the person you're wrestling. All right. Get yourself over and then tell the folks what you're going to do to the other person. Get, you, you understand? And so a lot of a lot of guys don't get their characters over first. And, you know, they just get up there and just start mumbling about a bunch of nothing. You know what I'm saying? Like, for example, you had, you know, the, the gimmicks like the Macho Man, you know, the Undertaker, you know, uh, a junkyard dog. I mean, Jake the Snake, the best pro, uh, you know promo cutter in the business. I mean, you know, you know people like that. They had characters. So when they cut a promo, okay, the whole objective when you cut a promo and it's on television is you want people to focus in on what you're trying to get across. And if you can't do that, someone has to teach you how to do that. And that's why we did it every Wednesday. So when guys. When we did shows, we always did promos in the back before the show. Whoever you was wrestling, I worked the camera. I directed everything. There was no outside people helping me. I did it all myself because I wanted these guys 
to learn the right way. And the thing that we was talking about earlier about, you know, is it important about, you know, talking on that stick? Yes, it's very, very important. And if you cannot talk, okay, that's why sometimes they give you a manager. Even though I could cut the rug pretty good on that on that stick okay they always gave me a little a manager because my gimmick was a bodyguard okay but if guys don't learn how to talk and don't practice how to freaking do a promo they are not going to make it as fast as if you was a good talker period yeah what what percentage of the guys that come in now curtis want to be wrestlers now i mean just a wrestler i don't mean a wrestler until you could be in a movie or a wrestler till you can get a band out there wrestlers start to finish from age 25 to 65 wrestler uh well you know i mean you know i've trained thousands and thousands of people okay and and and, and believe me you a lot of them are still wrestling okay a lot of them are still wrestling and so, you know, some people, I mean, most, I'll tell you, be honest with you, there's a few that that's that's I believe is going to have a pretty good look, a good career at wrestling, you know. But here's the deal. If they don't take care of them bodies, if they don't, you know, if, if they don't work out, go to the gym, you know, because, look, you know, I started when I was in my 20s, man, right out of college, big, strong individual just got off the football field looked good athletic but let me tell you something time flies pretty freaking fast one minute you're a rookie next minute you're a freaking old timer legend so whatever okay and so what these kids need to understand and and, and learn is you know when you get in this business okay you got to think longevity because it's going to take you some time to learn what you need to learn to get to where you're trying to get to. Some people used to come into the school. They wanted to go from the schoolhouse to the big house, right? And I had to explain. It don't work like that. I've had guys come in, look like they've been chiseled out of stone, right? (laughs) Buff like a son of a gun. Couldn't hit the ropes. Couldn't take a bump. Couldn't do anything in the freaking ring. And, you know, and I try to explain to him, look, you know, maybe this ain't for you. Maybe uh, maybe you should uh, try something else, you know. Yeah. Oh, no, this is my dream. I want, you know, I always want to be a wrestler. Hey, Martin Luther King had a dream. But it don't necessarily mean that you can be a professional wrestler, man. I mean, you know, I mean, I tried him. I tried him, I tried him as a tried to. You know, you want to be a commentator? You want to, you want to try that? You want, you want to try a referee? Uh, no, 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 no. I want to be a wrestler. <laughs> well, never happened. You yeah, know, and that's a tough to talk to have with somebody. But you got to be honest, right? You're not doing somebody any any yeah. service to blow smoke up their ass. Exactly. I never, I never was like that because I wouldn't want nobody doing that to me. Uh, in earlier in my career, you know blowing smoke in my butt, telling me things I want to hear. I don't want to hear that. I want you to tell me the truth. Do I have opportunity to, to be good at this stuff? Okay. So, so if I'm going to show, uh, you know, you're not showing me stuff and I can't figure out how to do it. I'm, I'm having some difficulties. Well, uh, 
Well, Curtis, you ain't going to make, you know, I don't think wrestling is for you. Okay, suck it up. All right, okay, I guess wrestling ain't for me. Time to move on down the line. But, you know, I had a few guys like that that come in that, you know, tried to, they wanted to be a wrestler. They told me their story, uh, how they were hungry and so forth and so on. Hey, hey, man, I applaud you. You know, God bless you. But everybody can't be a wrestler, man. Yeah. Man, had a guy come in. He was half crippled. He was, he was determined to be a wrestler. You know, had a couple of people like that. Couldn't hit the ropes because they were half crippled. You know what I'm saying? But the guy, but the owner would just take their money anyway. And I was like, damn, why you take these people's money? But I know he's running a business. Okay. But once he get the money, he send them to me and say, do something with them. Until time runs out so they can't get their money back. But that's the size of the point. Yeah. We're talking about wrestling here today. Um, I mentioned Bob Geigel before, who was instrumental in getting you started. Um, what's the most valuable thing you took from Bob Geigel? The most valuable thing I took from Geigel was take care of yourself. That's the most important thing he told us when he was training us. Take care of you. Me, Adam Bond, we trained together. See, we came from the same school. And, uh, the most important thing he told us was take care of yourself. Whatever, what, what do I mean by, what did he mean by take care of yourself? Well, in the business, a lot of kids don't know this uh, when they get into business. And when you start working, okay, uh, I came up in a time in the business where it was pretty sacred about what we do. Uh, it wasn't exposed yet. Uh, so, you know, now we can talk about it because everybody their mama knows what's up. So it's not kayfabe anymore. Even though I did teach my guys and girls that at the WWA for that kayfabe is real important. You have to teach your kids that stuff. You have to teach them. I don't care what year it is. You still have to teach them the old school way of saying and doing things. Because one day, hopefully, if the business don't die out because they putting transgender people in freaking wrestling and they're doing all this other, you know, stuff like that. I mean, you know, wrestling is professional wrestling. You can't take kids to things where uh, you're supposed to do them in a bar. You understand what I'm talking about here? Yeah. Well, but where do you, you stand know? on that whole thing that just happened with the uh, transgender woman I feel. winning the title? Yes. I'm glad you brung that up. Okay. My my opinion on it is total garbage. Trying, they're they're killing the business. They're killing the freaking business, man. Look, we had back in the day, we had people like Adrian Adonis, Adrian Streak. You understand? Those guys played their gimmick, but they didn't. It wasn't like they did things to where they were like. <laughs> You know, okay, we know what you are, but okay, that's fine. But now it's like, okay, uh, well, Ben is 2020. We'll just, you know, let the cat out the bag and, 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 and let everybody be wide open. And we're going to put this on TV and see how the people respond. I'm going to tell you how they're going to respond. They're not going to take their kids to these shows. You're going to not, you're not, you're going to start seeing, you know, I'm look, <laughs> I wouldn't take my child to see no transgender guy, no daggum ring, would you? 
With the, listen, this is a, this is a trend now. This is this is uh, I I think that wrestling usually tries to follow a trend, right, in entertainment or society. And I think I that I don't care if it's entertainment or not, man. But there's certain things you do not put in the business. You understand? I seen look. I seen somebody somebody put online on social media these two wrestlers. They had their tights down and they were bump. They were bumping each other's butts at a show. Okay, well, that's that's. When I seen that, I was like, "Oh Lord, there goes the freaking business." Let me tell you something. If they keep doing this garbage, okay, at shows on TV, there is not gonna be anybody going to these shows. I don't know what they're trying to prove or what they're trying to do, but they're not gonna draw no money like that. Period. If that look, if, I'm gonna tell you something, <laughs> and I know this for a fact. If they want to go, if people look, if the companies, all these companies want to make some money like they used to draw people in, and people come buy a ticket. I say this all the time. You have to go back to the old school way of wrestling. If you want to draw the mama, the daddy, the kids, everybody to some wholesome wrestling, you have to go back to the old school style of wrestling. Take all that other garbage out of the game and go back to the where you can take the whole freaking family and you ain't got to cover up your freaking child's eyes when these people come to the ring and do something. You understand? Well, yeah. Well, you see, that's the thing is, is if the in-ring behavior is uh, explicit or or uh, obscene, I guess, whatever that means to the individual, that's one thing. But what about just having a character? You mentioned like Adrian Street and, and Adrian and Nas, yeah. who I believe were both sure. straight men in life, but portrayed a homosexual character. Um, yeah, but they, yeah, but they, 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 yeah, but but yeah, but okay, yeah, they, they, just one side. Do you understand? But but didn't I like, mean, they, they, but they, didn't they, expose themselves or anything, or bump their butts or anything, as far as I I remember. No, no, they didn't. They just they just when they came out, they were spraying perfume and and things like that. I mean, you know, just acting like they 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 were that kind of gimmick. But but you know, you, you, no, I'm not down with what they're doing now. I'm not down with it at all. All right, very good. Now I, I can't imagine Bob Geigel saying uh, to to, to uh, Curtis, "Could you go out there and be a transsexual character?" I, it just wouldn't happen. But um, no, it would not. But um, no, not back then. No, it wouldn't have worked. People wouldn't have bought it. See, but here's the deal: uh, since these phones came, to, since these phones came into play, okay, and everybody can get online, and everybody can get on social media. Everybody's always on social media. So now, instead of freaking watching TV, you can get on your phone and watch every, anything you want to watch, okay? And so, you know, you know, if you see some show at a, these guys doing some 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 freaky stuff at a show, right? They put it and somebody record it and put it on freaking line. Then all these other, you know, hang on, say no dirty words, but all these other people thinking that's cool to do right. all these young cats thinking that they can get some followers by doing that stupid stuff like that. And they won't central States, AWA, WCW, WWE, ECW, 
What place were you the most AWA, comfortable? AWA. Don't forget AWA. Oh, I had that. That was my second one. Central States, AWA, WCW, WWE, ECW. Where were you most comfortable? Where was I most comfortable? Well, I was most comfortable in WWF. The reason why I was most comfortable there was I was clean. I wasn't doing no drugs. I wasn't partying. I did all that in WCW, okay? But before I could go to WWF, because people, you know, people lie, people stooge, okay? In WCW, everybody partied. Everybody did drugs, okay? But I guess, Ben, I was a young guy, and I was, you know, doing a good athlete, whatever you might say, black, whatever, uh, you know, people, you know, stooge. And so someone told the office up at WWF that I, Mr. Hughes, Big Cat, had a drug problem, okay, which was not the case. So when I tried to get a job with WWF, okay, they wanted to do some business. But the first thing Vince told me was, uh, they say you have a drug problem down there in Atlanta. I'm going like, say what? <laughs> and I was like, no, no, no. I, I don't have no drug problem. Who told the office? Like, yeah, who, who do you think told the office? I have no idea. Who Anybody could have. I don't know. But who would have wanted to hold you back? Anybody. Who would have had an interest in holding you back? I don't ha I don't have a clue. It could have been anybody. I don't know. But you know, there was there was a lot of stooges back then. You know what I'm saying? And and so what ended up happening was Vince says, Well, I tell you what, we're gonna wait a year and and you get it and we'll get back with you in a year's time. Okay? And sure enough, a year went by. I was in Puerto Rico working Carlos Colon and and, and Abdullah the Butcher and 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 and, uh, and uh, you know the guy that killed Brody Invader bleed yeah yeah but Invader you know and, and, you know and I and I I got a call when I had a when I came to back to the hotel uh, the red light was flashing you know that message light yeah. And I, you know, picked the phone up and hit the button and, uh, and uh, I called downstairs. I said, yeah, what's this message light here? She goes, she told me to hit a button and I can hear the message. And it was Sergeant Slaughter leaving me a message saying that uh, Vince wants to look at me, ask me if I was available. Well, he left his number and then I called him back and then I, you know, he asked me, hey, how you doing? Hey, what's up, Sarge? And me and Sarge go way back from the AWA. I yeah. knew him from way back then and in Kansas City. And so he asked me if I was going to be available when I was coming back from Puerto Rico. That's what he asked me. And I said, uh, I'll be back tomorrow, which would have been Sunday, uh, Monday. He goes, well, we're going to be in Augusta. And Vince want to take a look at you. Come on down, you know, bring your gear, so forth and so on. So basically, that was my tryout, you know. And I said, "Yep, I'll be there." And uh, came back home, and with the day that I had to go do the to Augusta to uh, do the tryout, I drove up and uh, talked to Vince, and uh, and uh, he asked me some questions, and 
<laughs> I was like, no, I'm good. I don't do that no more. I'm clean or whatever, whatever. And said, get dressed. Uh, you know, we're going to see what we're going to see what you can do now. <clears throat> Here now, check this out. Here was my opportunity to show them that I'm ready to rock and roll. I'm clean. I'm in shape. I look good. I'm ready to go. Yeah. I'm in the dressing room. I'm in the dressing room in Augusta, and I'm asking some people. Okay, some people. I'm not gonna say their names, but I'm asking some guys in there. Uh, cause this is my first time in WWE, right? WWF, excuse me. Right. And I'm asking guys. Uh. Hey, excuse me, guys. What do you think I need to? What do I need to do out there to get a job? I'm just asking them to see what they say, because I've been taught a long time ago how the business is. So I'm going. Uh, what do you got? What do I need to do out there to you know for them to hire me? You know what they told me? No. Because because they were you know because okay they brung me in to look at me so they were they were feeding me enhancement guys right? You know what a enhance, enhancement yeah, guy is? A job. He was a job. It was a job guy. And so they're telling me, you know, bump for the jobber, seal for the jobber, all this garbage. And I'm going like, why would they tell me something like that? Anyway, I was like, I'm not going to do that. I went out, had my first enhancement match. The freaking place was going crazy. I went back to the gorilla position. <laughs> and uh, Vince says, uh, well, go get dressed and uh, I'll talk to you in a minute. Right. So I went back in the dressing room because I didn't sweat. So I put back on my street clothes and then Kate went in the office to talk to Vince. And he goes, oh, man, I like what I see. You know, the, the people follow you. The people like you as a heel, whatever, whatever. We, all right. I'll, I'll, we, I'll, you know, we're going to cut the deal, whatever, whatever. I go back in the dressing room, put your gear back on. We're going to tape two more matches, two more matches for TV. And so I guess I got a job. So when I went back in the dressing room, at, when I was sitting there getting dressed, the guys was like, what are you doing? I was like, well, Vince told me to come back in and put my stuff on. They want to do a, a couple more TV tapers. I, so I said, does that mean I got a job? And they didn't say a bloody word. Were they were they big names, the, the people you're talking about, or were they other guys getting tryouts, or were they enhancement guys themselves? The ones that gave the guys that gave you the bad information were they big names or were they? Oh, no, yeah, 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 yeah. They're big names, of course. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah, but like I said, I'm not gonna say their names because that's not how I do things. But yeah, they yeah they were big name guys. Yeah. <laughs> you Shawn know, Michaels. I I I'm gonna I guess Shawn Michaels. Say that again. I'm gonna guess Shawn Michaels. No, 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 no. Well, I, I had didn't to, do nothing like that. I guess. I had no. to try. No, like, like I said, I'm not going to say no names, man. <laughs> now, the the I'm angle gonna, where you I'm took... Gonna take, I'm going to take that one. I'm going to take that one to the dirt. To the dirt. There's a clue. The Undertaker. Speaking of The Undertaker, when you did the thing with the urn, right? Who proposes yeah. that... Who comes to you with that angle? Who proposes that you're going to do the thing where you steal the urn? Well, one day... Uh, um, um, well, one, how can I start this? Okay, so let me let me let me let me start ahead so you can see see how everything works out. One day, um, Vince, uh, we were going. We were okay. We were. It was me, uh, and I was with uh, Million Dollar Man and 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 uh, IRS. 
Okay. Uh, what the hell's his name? Uh, well, it was Mike it. Rotunda, but. There we go. Mike Rotunda. It was me, Mike Rotunda, and the million dollar man. We was in a six man, right? We were against Kamala and the Nasty Boys, I believe. Yeah, Kamala and the Nasty Boys, right? So we were sitting in the dressing room, and we we're going over the match and the finish, right? And so we get to the finish, and, uh, you know, we're talking blah, 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 blah. All right, we're going to take it on Hughes, right? I was the one going to do the job. so Because mm-hmm. Vince, Vince said, you know, when y'all come up with a finish, let me know. Because we was in there talking, and Vince said, well, uh, let me know when you come up with a finish. So we came up with a finish, and Vince came in the dressing room, and uh uh, yeah, Vince, we got to finish. He, he said, all right, what is it? He goes, yeah, we're going to do the Salvador, Salvador, and we're going to get it on Hughes. And Vince was like, no, 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 no. We can't do it on him. You got to do it on, you know, we got to do it on Kamala because I got some plans for him. That's what he said. He got, I, I don't know what that meant. Yeah. But that's, anyway. That's a good thing to hear. Any, uh, yeah. I, I, I didn't know what was going on. And then, um, Next thing you know, uh, uh, I'm doing all these job matches, beating up these guys. Beating, and then he had me doing matches with stars, you see, with names and beating them up. I'm going, what's going on? He's good. I'm, here I am coming in this company, this young cat, and, you know, Macho Man get my hand raised. I mean, dug it. I can go on and on and on of all these stars getting my hand raised, right? And then one day, we was at TV taping, and Vince came to me and in the dressing room, pulled me inside and said, listen here, Curtis. He goes, tonight, this has never happened. Tonight, you are going to take the, take the well, steal. <laughs> steal the Undertaker's urn. You're going to lay... Paul Bear out and the Undertaker out. They're not going to raise up. You're going to take his urn. You're going to hold it up, parade it around, and you're going to. And, and, and when you get done, you're going to walk back, and then you know, uh, you're going. We're going to work an angle. I was like, what? I I, I had to. <laughs> That's huge. Had to do a double. Yeah, had to do a huge. double take. That's great. Uh, okay, so he said. I said. So you want me to go out there? And take the Undertaker's urn and lay him and Paul Bear out and t- take the man's urn, his power. He goes, yeah. He goes, because, you know, right now uh, they didn't have really any good heels at the time to 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 fight Undertaker. You know, they tried Eligante, they tried other people, but it was not drawing any money, see. And so he gave me a try. And it worked out great. I mean, we 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 sold out arenas all over the country, all over. I mean, we went everywhere. Sold out twenty thousand seater main event casket matches. Okay. And of course, I loved working the Undertaker because he let you beat the hell out of him. He said, beat the hell out of me, man. Beat the hell out of me. Throw me against the freaking steps. Throw me against the railing. Throw me. Throw me. Beat me up. Whatever. Because he knew he was going over. I didn't give a damn. I mean, I was getting paid some, some serious cheese. Yeah. And so, you know, you know, 
the tombstone. I mean, all that. I was kind of spooky at first because I was so damn big. I, I I didn't know if he could get me up, you know, and, and tombstone without breaking my neck. So I had I was pretty wrapped up. I wrapped my, I was wrapped up on him pretty tight when he was coming down. So you know, uh, but 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 that was the highlight of my career because, um, you know, uh, they gave me a push. They, 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 Vince, if it wasn't for Vince, man, I wouldn't have really got the push because he liked what I did out there. And one thing I did all the time, uh, you know, they have agents that they have agents that go around and tell you what the finish is, what you need, you know, things, you know, give you envelopes for your plane tickets or whatever, vouchers for the rented car, whatever the case. But some of them told you the finishes, you see. And so when an agent would tell me a finish, I hope I ain't going too far off track. No. But when an agent There is would no tell track me a finish, here. The track is yours. Okay. All right. So when an agent tell me a finish, I go ask Vince. I go ask Vince, man. I mean, every time I did it all the time. If an agent say, hey, you're going out there, uh, you're going to do, you know, you know, you're going to be a rabbit tonight. I'll go ask Vince, is that what you want me to do? And then he'd be at the gorilla position. And then when I come back through the curtain after a match, was that all right? He'd be like, that was great, Curtis. And because and, he's the man that's paying me, okay? Right. You go to the source. <laughs> you go how, right to the source. Yeah. Um, let's, uh, that's how I did it, man. Let's yeah. jump onto Twitter. Let's see what the public has to say for you. We uh, put out there that you were going to be with me tonight. So um, let's see. Uh, Scott asks, how uncomfortable was it to wrestle in the damn suit and sunglasses all the time? Well, no, it wasn't, it wasn't uncomfortable at all. Okay. Uh, you have to understand, uh, I did that gimmick. Dusty gave me this Dusty Rose, Lord rest his soul. Uh, when I was big cat in, in WCW, uh, after, uh, Ole, you know, got, released as a booker head booker uh then dusty took over the book and dusty came to me and, and said you know hey cat he used to call me uh <laughs> he used to call me uh, uh uh lawrence taylor hey he's told me lawrence, i look like lawrence taylor so you say hey, what's up lt you know every day i mean every time i saw him lt i <laughs> Never called me Big Cat. It was always, hey, what's up, LT? Anyway, he came to me and he goes, hey, Cat, LT, I got a, I got a better character for you. I believe it can help your career. And I was like, hey, I, I'm open. And he goes, uh, you think you can do the bodyguard gimmick? I was like, bodyguard. He goes, like Big Bubba Rogers. I was like, oh, damn, that's an easy gimmick. You know, I, I said, so I got to, you know, you want, I got to wrestle in some clothes, right? Right. Yeah. Because, yeah, yeah, like Big Bubba. And so what I had to do is I had to look at Big Bubba because I didn't want people to get us mixed up, think we're the same people, right? So I said, I got to figure out a way. So when Big Bubba went to the ring, he'd take his hat off, glasses off. Sometimes he'd tuck his tie off, tuck his jacket off. I mean, he just pretty much just tuck everything off except the shirt and the pants, okay? Right. So to get the gimmick over, I said, I got to figure out a way to leave these shades and wrestle in these shades, okay? Even though I had the tie on and 
in the in the pants. I had, you know, everything was double stitched, of course. You know, that's why nothing ever ripped. Right. And uh, and uh, the boots I started out in, you know, those were real street boots. I had to get those uh, wrestling soles put on them so I wouldn't hurt nobody. Right. But no, the uh, but no, the you know, thanks to Dusty, that gimmick, you know, kind of made my career. And uh, no, it wasn't that hard at all. It wasn't hard at all. Now, a couple of times before I actually figured it out, uh, it was hard to wrestle with the shades on because I couldn't see because I sweat. Get they get they get all foggy. See, oh. yeah. and so you know, one day a big light went off in my head, and I was like, I was driving down the street one day because, and I had remember I had put some some of that, that windshield stuff on there so it don't fog up on you. And I was like, wait a minute, I got some wipes in my damn tr- in the trunk. Let me try those on the shades and see what happens. And that and, was it. And that did it? Go, wow. Yep, that did it. So from that point on, I always keep something in my bag because, so I don't have so so it don't fog up so I can see, see? So people always wonder, how do you see with those shades on? So I just told them a secret. Then they say, how do you keep them on, right? How do those shades stay on? Well, uh, I put electrical tape, electrical tape, it stretches, right? Yeah. And so, you know, I run it, I, I put the glasses on, then I run the tape around the back and then I measure it. Then I take the tape off and then put some tape on the inside so it don't pull my hair and then tape the ends up. And then that's how I do it. You wow. know, back then you couldn't see it cause I was bigger and it's fit my groove in the fat, the back of my head. See, <laughs> that's great. But you couldn't see you couldn't really see the the tape going all the way around. Now you can see it because I, all, you know, all that fat's gone. But, but uh, yeah, it was it wasn't hard uh, wrestling in the clothes. I still do it today. Matter of fact, got a show this weekend down in Augusta. Mike Campbell would like to know. He said Mick Foley told a story in his first book about a WCW show in Fort Myers where you no-sold and pinned DDP in his hometown and then went to his nightclub afterwards. Did anything happen there? Was there heat with DDP? Well, no, but uh, we just, <laughs> I remember that. Um, I mean, DDP's a cool guy, man. He, I mean, he's a soldier, man. He t- he took it in stride, man. We had a good, I mean, when I went to the club, you know, all the boys went to the club and I don't, we didn't have no heat. It wasn't no problem. We, I mean, I don't, we don't have no heat up to this day. Uh, uh, you know, as far as I know, uh, but when I went to the club, no, everybody was having a good time. And, and, you know, we, we actually, uh, when we talked about it at the club, it was kind of like, we was kind of joking about it kind of thing. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you know, we know the boys know that that you know it's a work. Yeah. Uh, but you know, here, but I was kind of young. You know what I'm saying? I was young, and and uh, I believe you understood that. So it it, it it didn't go it didn't go nowhere. Okay. Uh, Honky Tonk Ham says, "Did him and New Jack really move into a rat's apartment in Philly and sleep there for days, and then steal all of her furniture while she was at work?" The story came from New Jack on his "You Shoot," which was a show we used to produce. He said, "He said what? We stole some furniture." Hey, he said that you you and him hooked up with a rat, stayed out there for a few days, and then emptied her apartment. Well, let me see if I can remember. Uh, I know that, uh, when I was at ECW, I moved up, I had apartment here and I had apartment, I got apartment up there in Delaware, uh, across from a friend's house. 
apartment. Uh, but uh, the furniture that I got, uh, I got from like a show that was back in the back. I got this uh, this recliner, put it on top of this guy's car I knew, and took that to my apartment. But I don't remember, you know, I don't know, I don't remember, uh, I don't remember, uh, uh, you know. Maybe it wasn't you. I, Maybe I, it wasn't you. Jack, Jack sometimes, yeah. you know, he's not always in the right frame of mind. Maybe it was Devon Dudley or something. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, but I did, I did, I did, uh, I did take a recliner from a from a show one time and tied it to a top of my buddy's uh, uh, Camaro. It was funny as hell. <laughs> you didn't sit just up there for the ride. Down the street with this, just imagine driving down the street with this green recliner on top of your freaking hood. I'll be on top of your freaking car, man. Did I'm you a Camaro. Okay? Did you sit in it for the ride? Say that again. Did you sit in it for the ride, or or no? You weren't sitting in the recliner. I hope. On no, the, no, 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 no. I, yeah. I needed some. I needed some furniture, and it was a freaking nice, freaking comfortable recliner. And I said, I said, who, who's this? Whose recliner is this? And they said, I don't know. And so I waited until everybody was pretty much gone, and I said, I'm taking this. And so I found some rope, and we put it on top of the car, tied it down, and we was out of there. <laughs> Very good. Dylan Apple says, what's the issue between him and Court Bauer? Who's that? I don't know. Is there an issue between you and Court Bauer? Who the hell is that? I guess there's no issue. Salvatore Martone. We all know the strip joints in Atlanta were insane in the 90s. However, Ooh. my understanding that things are kind of so-so right now. Are they the drizzling shits now? Yes, they are. <laughs> <laughs> Why? What's the big? What, what? What would bring them back to their glory well, days? Well, back in the day, man, everything was like wide open. You can pretty much do what you want to do now. You know, you, know, <laughs> you got to be careful, bro. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, those champagne rooms all have cameras now. That's just, that's just like that's just like you know. There's no more rats, bro. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Back true. in the day, man. Back in the day. There were rats at the arenas, fine-looking young ladies waiting for you. There were rats at the freaking hotel lobby waiting for you. Now you walk in there, there's nobody in there but security. Now we're like, talking. Well, now we're talking. What's the best city, Curtis, for the for the rat scene that you experienced? Go ahead. Is it Tampa? No. No, no not Tampa. No, no. No, the, I'll tell you, the best city, I had a couple of them. The best city for me was Chicago and Ohio. Okay. Those were the best. Those best. I'll tell you why. Chicago, uh, out by the airport, they had this club called Club Anytime. Stayed open twenty four hours. And every time the boys would have a, we had to have a show in Chicago, the owner would he, he'd be expecting us. See. And after the show, because it was right across the rural road by Rosebud Horizon, so it wasn't that far. And the hotel was like. We was right up the street from, so we was right close to the place. Yeah, I mean, it was pretty much you know like cross the street, right? Because I can remember uh, going to the club, all right, uh, having some drinks, picking up a rat, taking her back to the hotel, doing business, going back to the hotel, drop her off, go back to the hotel, get another rat, go back to the hotel go back back and forth from the club three times in one night and that's club anytime because you can do it all night anytime 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. You can pick up chicks, take them in, take take them back to the hotel, go back, drink some more. I mean, oh, man, I, I used to look forward to going to Chicago every time that, that you know, I looked at the booking sheet. I'd be like, I'm going to see where Chicago at. Boom, boom. Oh, there it is. And I'd make sure that I'd had a few rats down there. I'd give them a call and give them, give them the date and time when I would be coming in. Now, a lot of guys did that. I mean, you know, we had we had a brawl. You had a rat in every city you went to. Now, you Ohio, know, just, Ohio surprises me a little bit. I think maybe conservative, yeah. uh, uh, religious area, but no. No, no. See, here's the deal. When you're on television back in the day, because fans really looked up to wrestlers, they really respected us, they really wanted to hang out and be with us. Today, they don't give a damn. But back then, they wanted to be with you. Fine, gorgeous-looking, Jennifer Lopez-looking broads, rats, you understand? They I do. To be with I do. You. They wanted to hang out with you. They drive you everywhere you needed to go. Now you can't find a rat to save your life to drive you anywhere. You're just going to miss the gig. Yeah, I can but imagine what then, they would look like now. You know? Woo. The well, quality. Well, again, brother, let me tell you, they were as fine as wine, and they were a dime a dozen. <laughs> Listen, and, and, uh, it took us 52 yeah. minutes to get to, to get to the heart of this interview, to get to the important stuff that everyone wants to hear about, Curtis. But you know what else everyone wants to hear about? that they can come see you and they can come see you on March 7th, Saturday, March 7th, 2020, uh, from right. 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. And they can do this right. at the LaGuardia Plaza Hotel in Queens, New York. That's March 7th, Saturday. Mr. Hughes will be there. He'll be doing autographs, photos. Maybe he'll, be, he'll bring some of his uh, Polaroids of the, uh, of the uh, hotel in, uh, in Chicago. <laughs> Depends how much you pay for that. Man. The most important thing, I will have the Undertaker's urn. That's the most important thing. Well, that's a photo op and, if I ever heard one. Yes, sir. And he will be in the same building. And we'll see if he'll get that urn back on March the 7th. I'm looking forward to it. ESS Promotions, Eric Sims, one of the best freaking promoters out there in the business. Good agent. Uh, we've been knowing each other for years and years and years. Yeah, I've been, and, I've been uh, using Eric for a long time, too. So just uh, two words for you. Independent accounting, okay? Bring your own accountant for that for that gig. Yeah. <laughs> You're working with Eric. Yep, yep. I definitely, I definitely got it. So, so you know, uh, you know, March the 7th, uh, you know, if you, you know, folks have never seen Mr. Hughes in person before with the urn and you want to take a picture and talk, to Eric Sims, he get it all worked out for you. I'll be glad to do it for you. Looking forward to coming up there and, uh, uh, you know, having some fun, man. Come on out to the hotel in Queens and uh, come see Total Protection, Mr. Hughes. Like I say, I will have that Undertaker's urn. Uh, uh, for a long time, I, I, I left it at home when I went on the road, so I just dusted it off, pulled it out because Undertaker was going to be up there in Queens, and I wanted to bring it up there. And uh, just for all the fans, Curtis loves to talk westerns and Chicago rats, so he will be happy to entertain your questions about either one. I remember the movie The Wild Bunch. That's the one I was talking about before. That was a good movie. Curtis Hughes, Mr. Hughes. I love talking to guys that have done the road going to be real hard to to talk to 
a lot of these contemporary guys as they get older because there's, you know, they they worked in WWE and then maybe I don't know AEW or if that's around, who knows? But I could talk to cats that that did the road still. I love that. It's such a it's such a unique thing. It's such a unique thing and a unique era in the business. But I digress. Let's go to Twitter. I said you may address me. You may look at me and address me, and I will answer you. Ray Highclack says most difficult interview you pulled off. Um, you guys will go to things like Jamie Dundee because he was out of control. Um, but that's not that didn't bother me. Um, th- there are just there are times that I leave a shoot absolutely exhausted, and it's usually. There are some I don't know how I'm going to get through. When I sit down, and it's the third shoot of the day, all right? I've already been talking for five hours on camera. Go talk for five fucking hours and then come back and talk to me, okay? Five hours looking at shooting script, asking questions, maybe trying to keep it interesting, maybe trying to lead a wrestler to the promised land. You know, maybe they're not doing it on their own. So I got to go into the bag of tricks to uh, make them a little more interesting and have a laugh and and keep things rolling. And it's 1130 at night. And the lights go on again. And I sit down under them. And I know that for the next two hours, I'm going to have to force interest. When we're rolling, it seems to be okay. But it is that lead up and just kind of getting it up for that action. I think of someone like Ron Jeremy, one of the greats, who could get it up for any kind of action and had to. And had to. How did you, Ron? How did you? Second scene of the day in a fatty film. My God, if you could do that, I could talk to Jim Cornette for another two hours. My head aching ripping apart from not having eaten starving but i gotta nail this show because someone needs a flight in the morning or something those are the tough ones man i i would remember them offhand i know that greg Gagne was an extremely late night shoot but that was so early in our career i was i was doped up and jazz not literally dope, but doped up on energy for um for getting these shows in the can and you know the the revolution that i knew was coming as we uh, as we shot this programming, it was later on. It was once we were established, you know, wheeling me out there to do another one. So probably like uh, like Kiss these days, going out on the road for their last tour. Like, am I am I fucking putting the makeup on again? Am I putting these devil boots on again? Am I going to pretend to be really, really turned on by Christine sixteen? Yeah, that's me. Oh, let's see who else has some stuff to say. Um, Chris Z, you've done a lot of interesting podcasts outside of wrestling, i.e. the Cocaine Cowboys Kiss. There's some other crazy stories from the 80s and 90s that are out there. Gator Rogowski is one. Any plans on branching out even further from the wrestling genre? Yeah, I have to get back to doing that. Um... I've just uh, I had a just a series of wrestling folk who were who wanted to get on and would be good guests and I I had to do that. There's a reality to ratings too, not ratings but numbers. 
Um, there are charts, there are numbers, there are figures, there are listeners, and you've got to go with the trend. And uh, you can't load up too much of the non-wrestling stuff. It just seems that some of you folk get disinterested. Now, it's so funny because I get a ton of tweets, emails about how you like my mixing it up. And it, listen, the show is called Kayfabe. And it's not just a wrestling term anymore, right? It's stories you're not supposed to hear. So I'm trying to bring you things from maybe the underbelly of the world or at least things that uh, that, that folks don't talk about. And um, and and something revealing, trying to get you inside looking something like I did with wrestling. Maybe it's the Stern show with Monique from Radio Gunk. And uh, I'm going to have a, a Stern staffer uh, hopefully on very soon. I'm putting that together and uh, and more. So, yes, Chris Z, uh, we will deviate more. And um, but I have to be judicious about it. And uh, we got to get everybody in here doing doing the best we can. Um. A little bit of talk about uh, Cornette. I uh, got some questions about Cornette. Uh, Salvatore checking in once again this week. Salvatore Martone, Cornette 3D, as this would be a third dimension of Corny. The first two dimensions were described by you. In my eyes, it would be something Jim would be exciting to do, show a different side of himself and reveal content we've never heard before. Uh, Jim will be on. Uh, don't worry. Um, Scooter Hauser, any chance you do a shoot with Kevin Nash again? You guys made a great duo. I agree, and he agrees. Um, and it'll happen. Uh, it's, well, I wanted to, I wanted to launch the series with Kevin, and that was the plan. Uh, he was doing a film. Uh, my shooting, my recording schedule was getting tighter, getting closer to release date. I wanted to have a bunch of them in the can because I wanted to find the identity of the show. I just didn't want to sit here in front of a microphone and start rambling. Your time is too valuable. My time is too fucking valuable. So I wanted time to work out the show. I wanted to know what it was going to sound like, feel like. I wanted it to be intimate. I wanted it to be me and you talking, maybe sitting at a bar, right? Uh, that's kind of the vibe we got. And then, you know, and in an interview, somebody sits and joins us for a cocktail or two each week, and then they take off. And before we end the evening, uh, you and I have a little recap of of, uh, of what's going on that night. So Kev's schedule was tough. Mine was tough. And, um, and it hasn't yet to happen, but it will. It will. I, you know, the truth is I got rolling and, uh, and I just, there's been so much going on that I, I haven't, uh, worked my schedule back out with Kevin, but I will. Uh, what do we got? Uh, a lot of, a lot of corny talk, man. A lot of cornet stuff. Damo. I'd love to see Jim do something where he brings his wealth of experience and knowledge, but also, put in a position where he's eager to learn and adapt, perhaps a spin on guest booker where he has to work with a script writer to fantasy book one month of output across all shows. So that's kind of like a yin to the yang. And we did that at Kayfabe Commentaries on an episode of guest booker called Yesterday and Today. It was with Gabe Sapolsky and Kevin Sullivan. We wanted to see if we could put an old school talent, uh, old school booker, I should say, with a uh, with a contemporary booker. And have them work together on a product and see what they could hash out. Uh, that was uh, we did do that experiment. I like that kind of stuff. So uh, yeah, of course that could work. And uh, listen, guys, the sun has set. The sun has set on yet another week. But I know you'll hang in there. Go on with your important lives. 
for the next uh, for the next seven days until we meet again Tuesday ish of next week. You know, another thing I get, I, you know, I get folks over the pond. I, I got to do that. I got to bring that up so we can show you the diversity in listenership that we have here that we share together. You ha- you have no idea. I'm going to break that out for you. Maybe I'll do that next week, break it down. Where And so my point is that, you know, some folks in the UK talk about liking the release earlier in the morning. So it's the first thing um, that's on the podcast, uh, that's on their uh, podcast app. And then, you know, folks here in the States, um, they also uh, want it a certain time. And listen, guys, it's there. Okay, it'll pop up. It'll pop up somewhere on a Tuesday for you. We also, you know, we're syndicated on all these different outlets, Stitcher, Spotify, all these things that I did not even know existed that carry this show. Um, and, uh, and they all kind of drop uh, around the same time. But there are outliers. I know uh, Stitcher was quite, quite late in getting uh, our release a couple of weeks ago up. But listen, it's the Tuesday Love. You can count on that. And you know the show has been brought to you. It is a product of Sean Oliver Media and is copyrighted 2020. All rights reserved. Music by the great Kevin McLeod. License under Creative Commons license. You want to be a patron, you want to produce the show, patreon.com slash podcast. Join us next week. Chabela!